Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. This week, I chatted to Lisa Messenger, the founder of Collective Hub which was once a print magazine and online platform, which Lisa has recently been through a bit of a transformation with. What she says, she broke down her business in order to rebuild it. So she's taken a few months off to um, let go of the current model of her business, write a book about the journey of how hard it was to let go of that business, but also to scale and cover the overheads and the stress that was involved with the ending of that business and share with us some of the highlights of of her journey with Collective Hub, some of the hardest days, um, and then also her tips and tricks for people out in the entrepreneur field. So tune in, enjoy the chat. Um, Lisa shares a bit of her spiritual journey as well um, about the time she spent in Bali and India. She tells us what her morning routine is and her favourite music genre. Enjoy. All right. All right. Hi, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, you as well. home. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I just thought we'd jump into some conversations. Firstly, coffee is my, my jam. Are you a coffee drinker? Well, here's a known <laughs> fact. I never, ever, ever drank a cup of coffee until about three years ago. Mm. And I've still never. 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 And I've still to this day never, ever had a hot coffee, but I do drink ice latte. So there you go. If someone can get me to have a hot coffee. Why? Have you tried it? <laughs> never tried it. Wait, you just don't? I just don't really like hot drinks. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> so I just haven't done it. But I do like the uh, double shot ice latte now. Yeah, nice. <laughs> That's your thing. That's my thing. <laughs> I always like to be different in case yeah. you haven't read it already. <laughs> What do you do? What, what do you have in the morning? What's your morning routine? Um, generally, all, well, always a green smoothie because mm. I kind of figure if it goes downhill from there, it's kind of a okay, <laughs> yeah. the day well. I think that's one of the things. It's so easier for us to kind of be um, open to this notion of perfectionism or mm. doing life how other people do life, and mm. I'm kind of like, oh, just. Go your own way, you know, everything in moderation. But I do start the day with a green smoothie. What time do you get up? Uh, Quite late. (laughs) So I went through a stage (laughs) at Christmas time where I was like, right, 5.55 every morning. But that is not my natural (laughs) state. So I would prefer to get up anywhere between 7.30 and 8.00. Do you set an alarm or are you a natural waker? I set an alarm, but I always have a backstop of about eight just in case. But I try, I would love to wake up earlier, but I find, and people often comment on this, like I have more energy than most people on the planet, I think. Yeah. But it's because I sleep a lot. Like I yeah. sleep eight to ten hours every single night, but I am never, ever, ever, ever tired during the day. I'm just like a freaking energizer bunny. Yeah. What time do you go to bed? Um, probably sometime between 10 and 11-ish in general, yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, this is ridiculous. I kind of freak out if I'm at an event and it's like goes past 11 <laughs> and like it throws my whole chi out. <laughs> I better get so home. I think it's important to know what our triggers are and mm. what kind of works for us. And for me, definitely, I have to have a lot of sleep. You need to get your sleep. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm on fire and there is no stopping me. <laughs> how, how long have you been in business for yourself now? 16 and a half years, nearly wow. 17 years. It's um. How old were you when you started? Well, it was the 22nd of October, 2001, and I won't say how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> but then people do the math. Mysterious. Mysterious. You know, that's an important point because like I'm a completely open book and yeah. I talk about absolutely everything. Like there's nothing off limits at all. Yeah. But I rarely talk about my age. And the yeah. reason is that I find people pigeonhole mm. and people use it as a benchmark to self-sabotage or an excuse-based oh. thing. It's like they automatically have a reference point of, oh, she's older than me so I can't do that or she's younger than me so mm. I can't do that. And I actually I just want people to believe that when they find their purpose, they find their purpose and yeah. what works for me works for me and what works for other people yeah. works for them. So No I, comparison. Yeah, that's why I don't 
really talk about it. It's not that I'm ashamed. In fact, mm. I'm freaking hot for what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> I look great. <laughs> I mean, you just And did, I feel great. That's the most important part, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're a gym, gym goer. Just went to the gym. Just went to the gym. Lisa, before I got here, she was like, I'm at the gym. I was like, oh, my God, I need a nap. <laughs> uh, I'm just, you know, well, we can talk about what I've been doing the last year yeah. or so, but um, I have certain not negotiables yeah. in life. So you said before, how do I start my day? Um, mm. Often with the gym or a bar mm. class or a walk with my dog, Benny, who's sitting here next to us on the yeah. couch. Um, but this morning I had some early, early for me, meetings, yeah. and so I missed my workout. Mm. So it is a not negotiable as a daily practice to do mm. some form of exercise. So today it was hardcore run, rowing, weights at the gym. <laughs> yeah. I've actually started trying to do more, like make sure I get out and exercise every single day Yeah, because it's so easy, especially when you work for yourself, to just sacrifice that. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. as soon as you bring it back in, you're like, oh, that's right, it's really good for me. Yeah, and we might look back around to that because for 16 and a half years, literally since the 22nd of October, every single day I've had a, an office, a physical yeah. office, and at least three times three staff. Yeah. But um, in the last few months, I actually now don't have an office and mm. I don't have any full-time staff. So we can get into why I've chosen that? to Is do it that. Good? I love it. Yeah. But it's also interesting because it's um, – Ironically and counterintuitive to what people may think, it's mm. almost harder to have mm. a routine. You know, before I got up, I had a place to be. No day was ever the same yeah. at all. But now it's like I have to put specific things in place to make sure that I am disciplined. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you working from home now? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Laptop lifestyle. Laptop lifestyle. I've almost a bigger team than I've ever had mm. and I have a pro put – a lot more output in the next financial year than I mm. ever have. Mm. So this time last year I had 32 full-time staff. Wow. And was three, that the most you've ever had? Yeah. Yep. And $3 million in salaries mm-hmm. and I had about 80 freelancers. Wow. And I've broken that <gasps> entire model. So we can dig into that and where yeah. I did it. But um, I think it's the best thing I've ever done, yeah. apart from starting the collective. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump into that. So for those of those of our those listening at home, um, you used to run Collective. Do you still run it? Is Collective still a business? Yes, it is. Yes, so it's still a company. Yes. Um, and you started Collective in 2001? 13. So I started the Messenger Group in 2001 and it was, what was that? Yeah. It was kind of a, I'm doing inverted commas, um, <laughs> it was an integrated marketing agency mm-hmm. and a lot of startups will relate to this. I was yeah. kind of like over-servicing, undercharging, mm. being everything to everyone, making yeah. no money but having a hell of a lot of fun. And then it's – Did you do uni? Yes. Yeah. So did you do like marketing or business or just – I did um, business, mm-hmm. majoring in tourism, mm-hmm. which was interesting. So my background before starting my business was conference and event management. Oh, okay. Um, so I kind of started as a marketing agency, helping people, just doing way too much stuff. Mm. Um, as I said, being everything to everyone. Mm. And then it wasn't until 2013 that I started Collective, So, which got very, very big very, mm. very quickly. But I think what's important for people who are listening, hopefully people in that car outside isn't an <laughs> <laughs> um, is that Collective was really an 11-year overnight success. Mm. So I hustled my ass off for 11 years. I was comfortable. I could never really find a way to scale beyond mm-hmm. three staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good little business, but I just, it wasn't kind of juicing me up and wanting me to jump out of bed mm-hmm. every day. And collective. No, no, collective, no. I, no, no. no. Collective is my the messenger group. Yes, yeah. prior to collective. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I started collective in March 2013. So how did you go from events to being like, I should run a magazine? Because uh, <laughs> we all know that's a really hard thing. Like both of us are done magazines. It's just like, oh, my God. Oh, it's so hard. So <laughs> um, so I was doing sort of marketing, some events, some branding. I was also producing some um, custom content in the form of books primarily yeah. for people. But that's very one-dimensional compared to a magazine. Yeah. <laughs> And I just looked around and I was just, I don't know about you guys with your mag, mm. I was just so 
frustrated. As I said, I'd had businesses for 11 years mm. and I was surrounded by all these creatives and entrepreneurs and there was nothing out there mm. in the media for people like us. Yeah. It was like either people would talk about, you know, these amazing entrepreneurs and what they were doing now mm. and I was always like, but how, but how, but why, mm. but why? I don't understand. How did they start? Why did they start? Yeah. How did they get their products manufactured? How did they find contacts? Yeah. How did they get it funded? I just had so many questions. And so it was that kind of burning hunger, I guess, that I don't know. I walked into the office one day and I was like, let's start a magazine. <laughs> and as you will know, having your own magazine, and that was the most nuts thing to say in 2013 for many reasons. Mm. One, I had three staff at the time all mm. under the age of 25. Mm-hmm. None of them had ever worked in media or magazines. Mm-hmm. I'd never worked for a magazine mm-hmm. or in media and people said print mags were dying. Yeah. And Still I, saying it. <laughs> and I had no money, no smarts, no idea, <laughs> no anything and I was going into a highly saturated market where they said at the time there were 5,500 magazines. I don't know mm. what the statistic is now. Mm. But I just had this bloody big dream and I was like, I'm just going to do it. Mm. And I did. And within 18 months, the print magazine was in 37 countries and I had people so where like, did you? where did you go to like – what what was your first print? Like, were you glossy? How old was your print run? Like, who were your interviews? Like, did you and the three people do all of it? Uh, most of it. I had some freelancers mm-hmm. at the beginning. But I tell you what, and for anyone listening, bigger is not better. Mm-hmm. Having three people was the best thing I ever yeah. had. Mm-hmm. And having 32 was the worst thing I ever did. Oh, wow. <laughs> there are so many lessons in that. Mm-hmm. And, um well, it's just a different ball game. It's like you're no longer an entrepreneur running a magazine. You're like a manager. Yeah, like it's completely different. And I think it's really important to understand what you love. Like I'm a creative. I'm a visionary. I love moving forward. Mm. I love creating new stuff. And you can do that when it's a really small team. And you can break a lot of rules mm. and disrupt and be really naughty and rebellious and all that kind of thing. Move quickly. Move very quickly. Be nimble, flexible, <laughs> pivot. But when I have 32 people... That's not fun anymore. It's a freaking nightmare, actually. Oh. It's um suddenly it's all about systems and processes mm. and operations and HR, IT, legal, finance, yeah. and I freaking hate all that. Yeah. So it wasn't fun. Um, so I decided to break it all. But we can, <laughs> we can get to why I did that. So you did collective for how long was collective? In five years. It's still going. Yeah. In fact, it's going to about to be going in a much bigger way, Ooh. ironically, with no staff than when I had 32 full-time Amazing. staff. So, uh, yeah, so uh, where do you want to start on that? With, a lot. Um, yeah, so let's – with you printed every month. The print with, magazine came out um, every second month in the first yeah. year. Then we did 12 issues in year two, three, four. And That's in, insane, by the way. Yeah, Congratulations. I, thanks. I didn't realise that most Macs do 11 or 10 or 11 at the most each year. I was like, <laughs> let's do 12. And then in year five, I dropped it back to bi-monthly again, so six. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. And like wow. it's because it's just nonstop. Like either you put one out and then you say, all right, what's the next one doing? Well, nonstop, but not just, I don't know, about your distribution, but nonstop because um, firstly I had the print mag, then we had a big digital component Mm. where we started doing six to eight stories every day. And then we had events and uh, for a while we were running four events a week across Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney. Um, And then the print mag was in 37 countries. So the distribution of that, like in Australia, 3,506 news agencies plus all WH Smith, uh, Newslink, Coles, Woolworths, Singapore, Qantas and Virgin lounges yeah. and then all the distribution points in the other 36 countries. So it was mammoth. Yeah, that's next level. Well, I yeah. had the similar uh, print run is nowhere near that or our distribution, but when I remember like it printing, I was like, I just need to get this magazine to the print, <laughs> like pulling my hair out. Yeah. And then it went to the printer and then it arrived. I was like, thinking like it, life would get easier once yeah. it was at the printer and then I saw the boxes piled up and I was like, oh, my God, what do I do now? Now I've got to do something <laughs> yeah. with them. You know, I think that's really important for people as well. It's like we all get very excited about creating yeah. something, a product or whatever, but 
that's kind of almost the easy bit. I mean, it's hard, but it's yeah. almost easier For than the, creatives, the right? marketing and the distribution. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. They're like, wow, I've got this amazing mm. thing. I've worked out how to do it. And because we're creatives, we're really excited and we often have short attention span. <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, okay, next. Yeah. And then it's like, Ooh, I've actually got to do something with this. I actually, that's so funny you say that because that's been my process the last probably six months around, like I was going to go back to New York and live because I spent some time there last nice. year. And I was like, once the mad prints, I'm going back to New York. Yeah. And then I had this realisation of like, I think I need to grow up. Like I need to mature in the business in that not just have the ideas but execute and go for the long haul. And yeah, yeah. And really, yeah, like do the long, slow how often are you bringing your mag out? Well, we're kind of making it up. <laughs> what are you up to issue five? This is issue five. I reckon next year we'll do quarterly. And what, yeah. yeah. When did you launch? About two months ago. Oh, Maybe. you did five yeah. in two months? No, no, no. So we did our first <laughs> four in um, free print, um, 40 pages, like yeah. kind of like a pamphlet. Yeah. This is the first one, so it's 120 pages. Yeah. 1650, we printed 5,000 copies. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, so, wild. Yeah, hard work. Yeah, <laughs> especially going from service, which is kind of what you were doing too, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Service space. Like we've always done online courses and coaching, and yeah, um, going into the product is a whole other game. Oh, totally. Organic. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, all right. So we uh, collective was happening. What was your? I played this game with my niece and nephews. <laughs> it's called your peak and your pit. So yeah. what was the peak of your journey with Collective? So it was pinch me moments. Oh, well, the thing is the 11 years prior to Collective, I might have had one pinch me moment every mm. six months, you know, and um, but with Collective it was like every six minutes. I mean, mm. far out. I can't even. So interview, well, where do I even start? Mm. Like the fact that when I first got on a plane I found out where the global distribution conference was mm. for magazines and it was in Toronto and mm. I arrived there and did 13 different um, distribution deals in a day which mm. meant in one day a few months after launch you know 13 different countries said yes to distributing it like That's it was amazing. nuts so you were in that real like hustle just get it all done. the time yeah. and then things like about 18 months in I got an email which in the subject subject line said from the office of Anna Wintour as in the Diana Vogue and Devil Wears Prada and she invited me to her office in New York because Collective had got on her radar I mean she at the time and almost still is was the biggest publisher in in the world and you know so I flew to New York and had a meeting with her and that was you know phenomenal that mm. little old me who had knew nothing about anything just 18 months in was on a plane over there with her mm. um where's the office where's the big office it's in um the new towers where the um what's it called oh, now the um world where, tower what is yeah yeah um, world, world trade center but yeah. what's it called now yeah so freedom amazing. center freedom tower freedom tower um, yeah yeah so amazing wow. yeah that was a trippy moment what's she like um, well, the funny thing is the very first question she asked me, and it was surreal because Grace Coddington was sitting across the hallway, like yeah. as in big hair, Grace Coddington. I was like, wow, I feel like I'm in the Devil Wears Prada or yeah. the September issue. <laughs> and Anna said to me, what's your profit? That is the very first thing she said to Whoa. me. And I was like, nothing. <laughs> and she kind of laughed from there. But What's really important to remember about that, because a lot of people said to me, what did you wear? And I was like, well, actually, it's completely irrelevant, although, of course, I have a stylist. (laughs) Um, But she called a meeting with me, you know, and I think it's really important to meet people as equals, Mm. not just, um, you know, idolise someone. And that's something I learned early on in the collective journey because I've been exposed to some phenomenal people Mm. is I've always believed when I walk into that room that I am absolutely their equal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I've just, well, one of the reasons that I just kind of kept moving forward Mm. really. How did you get people to take the magazine seriously? Like how did you start getting, I guess, like creating a great product, right? Or like where did it? You know, you had big names on the front of your covers and you were interviewing great people. And you know. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, success builds success. So uh, I've written so I've written six books now mm. in the last four and a half years mm-hmm. because I write the books in real time. Yeah. So it's almost like a journal entry of exactly what happened right. with Collective because it's all about the story behind the story. 
I wanted people not to just be like, oh, it's okay for her. She must have had all this money yeah. or all this idea of what was going on. And mm -hmm. I had none of that. So um, I can answer kind of surface level, but if anyone wants to read, it starts with daring and disruptive and goes all the way through. Um, so I didn't know what I didn't know. So the mm. very first cover, I had Lana Jane Clarkson on the cover because mm. she was a friend of mine yeah. and I used to publish her books. And um, so that was number one strategy. Yeah, calling babies. <laughs> yeah, then I had Mia Friedman because I was at school with her and she had come out quite publicly saying something like she didn't like print magazines anymore so I was like well that'll be controversial yeah <laughs> and then I had Lane Beachley and her husband Kurt Pengelly from In Excess and yeah. um and then I ran out of famous friends <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a very good strategy and I didn't know how you approached you know getting famous people on the covers and so then I started contacting you know agents in LA yeah. and just started playing the game really and yeah um, you know, got Ryan Gosling, which was amazing, and that opened up, you know, then every kind of publicist and agent on the planet seemed to want their people yeah. on our covers. So, I, yeah, I mean. Kind of that initial hustle of just doing whatever the hell you can. Yeah. And then people start, and then leveraging it, really. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, issue one, I basically put every single person that I knew <laughs> or could get in contact with in there. And then someone said to me, wow, that was hardcore. What are you going to do for issue two? <laughs> and 52 issues later, we still managed to fill every single issue with incredible yeah. people and individuals, businesses. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's no shortage of content. <laughs> oh, there's never a shortage of great stories. Mm. Um, so peak was Anna Winter? No. No. no, there's there, I can't. There's no no one thing. I mean, I went to Necker Island with Richard Branson before it came became cool um, <laughs> in November two thousand and fourteen. How did you get that invite? Um, friends of mine are also friends of his, yeah. so I got invited to Necker, which was extraordinary. Yeah, and then a year later, I got on really well with Richard, yeah. and um, a year later, he was coming to Australia, and his PA Helen mm. um, asked me to co-chair the Virgin Way conference with Richard. Mm. So I sat on the stage with Richard for three hours mm. in at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So that was quite a moment, and then spent the weekend with him on Makepeace Island in, mm. on the Noosa River, um, where I shot him for a cover and just hung out. So that was a moment. I yeah. mean, I've interviewed John Cleese. There's so many. Yeah. Jamie Oliver, I was the only mag who got um, an exclusive for him on our cover when yeah. he was in Australia and I spent the day with him. He's one of the most down-to-earth, amazing people. So, I Did don't you know. Did you say that like, so your <laughs> ability to, like, network and build relationships has been, like, is that one of the, like, the most important skills in business, do you think? Yeah. But I don't do it consciously I, I think if people go out there thinking that they want to network yeah. then they've got it wrong I think those people who just throw business cards in your face and just like, oh, yeah not I'm really big on humanizing everything mm -hmm. and um everything's a relationship and it's like what's the value exchange mm -hmm. and that can be you know time or money or energy or all sorts of different things mm -hmm. I'm like what's what's a value exchange for people yeah. and when you truly believe that and I can tell you so many people don't and you've probably experienced mm. this having owned the mag it's like I probably get 50 to 80 pictures a day still yeah um of people and they literally all just say oh hi can you put me in your yeah. mag and I'm yeah. like well what's in it for the readers yeah. and what's in it for us yeah and go away <laughs> so I find people are quite often narcissistic and it's all about what's in it for them whereas yeah. if you approach something and it's like hey, I've got this great brand, I think mm. this is how it would benefit your readers, I'm prepared to be really authentic and vulnerable yeah. and tell this story and it would fit into this section. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Um, so I think it's for me it's always about thinking about what you can do for the other person first mm. and that seems to be a really good way to build relationships you know when it's not about you it's about them and then yeah. people just kind of I don't know fall in love with you and stuff happens it's kind of human nature too right like yeah rather than just going in to take and get what's right for you yeah mm. yeah yeah cool very simple yeah yeah so lots of peaks pit what was which is like what, what was the hardest day at collective yeah uh, well I mean 
there was a long period of that. And my latest book, Risk and Resilience, talks mm. a lot about that because we grew so fast mm. and I had so many people. And it, so then it was all about, you know, I remember when I started, it was like, you know, one week we needed to find $80 or something and it nearly sent me into a spin every day mm. with Collective Um Last year, it was like my CFO would say, we need another $100,000. We need another $100,000. It wasn't in increments of tens of dollars now. It was in increments of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that's not fun. It's very, very hard to be creative and moving forward when you get out of bed. And I am like this insatiable eternal optimist. But Mm -hmm. when you've got to get out of bed and you walk into we need more money. Yeah. We need more money. It's just soul destroying. And yeah. so, yeah, so a lot of 2017 I spent coming home crying on the bathroom floor. Yeah. <laughs> just like not fun anymore. Yeah. Um, so I made a courageous decision to break the brand temporarily. And now, just a few months later, I am like the happiest mm. and strongest and most on purpose I have ever been. Wow. Like it's insane. Do you remember having that when that moment was when you're like, okay, this needs to end? Um, it, it, it wasn't when something's that big. It's not a moment. It's um, it's like a sort of slow burn of pain yeah. <laughs> for about 18 months of um, because there's so much wrapped up in it. You know, mm. there's such a big footprint. There's such, I mean, 37 countries, a community mm. of about 2.4 million people, yeah. you know, a bit of ego and mm. attachment to identity. Yeah. So it takes a while to go. And let me tell you, winding out of something is a hell of a lot harder than starting something because mm-hmm. there's a responsibility around, yeah. oh, my God, I have um, an office with a five-year lease. Oh. I have <laughs> cost me nearly 300 grand a year. Oh, no. I have $3 million in salaries and people that need, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not an instant decision. Yeah. But there were many, many, many test points and um, some extraordinary uh, consultants that mm-hmm. I use to really test the business. Like, is it sustainable like this? Is it sustainable without mm-hmm. me? So lots of decisions. Yeah. And in the end I was like, right, I'm a, I am a bloody good businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really good. Yeah. But I, I can't operate at that mm-hmm. level with that amount of kind of crazy going on. Yeah. So I was like the responsible thing to do to get me back to being the be- very best version of me and servicing our community in the best way. Mm-hmm is to actually cut the entire cost base out mm. and break it down to basics mm. and then build it again. Put back the necessities. Yeah, so I broke it pretty fast. Uh-huh. And um, and Did you have some good mentors through that process? Like did you have, like who was kind of supporting you and guiding you through all of that? Uh, I, have a, I have a lot of different mentors. Mm. I don't believe in having one. Mm. For this reason, I think it's funny. A lot of people are like, who's your mentor? I'm like, Mm-mm. I. So I've got a guy in India called Raj mm. who is, he's lived in India in a commune for 32 years. He's mm. pretty much the most grounded, extraordinary spiritual human mm. I've ever met. So when I need that kind of energy, mm. I'm like, Raj, drop yeah. me into, bring me back to earth. Yeah. But then, you know, I have a guy, Jeff, who, owns where has equity in a lot of businesses and um guaranteed when I call him with an issue he's had an issue that's you know Mm. 50 or 100 times bigger than what I'm facing so he's like very quick and you know definitive in his um response and it's like bank do this and I'm like okay that's so easy um then I've got other people who have you know have an incredible feminine nurturing energy there's a number of different people Mm. I have for different situations I believe when you get to this level, it's almost impossible to have one person that's experienced as much on such a holistic Mm. level. There's not one person I could go to to be like, how do I deal with this life, business, whatever crisis? Mm -hmm. It's like I need people with very specialist skill sets in different areas of crisis at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So you came to that realisation and was like, all right, it's done. Yeah. Kind of. It, when I said done, what, I didn't know what that meant at the mm-hmm. time. What I did was I closed the print mag mm-hmm. um, and I stopped publishing to collectivehub.com mm-hmm. and I cut the cost base out. Mm-hmm. And, so um, no overheads. No overheads. Got rid of my mm-hmm. office, got rid of my 
$11,000 that I hadn't approved that were coming out of direct debits from my Amex every month for various different things that we had. And just cut, 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 got really, really, really intimate with my financials Mm -hmm. again and um, and just try to work out what had gone wrong. And the Mm -hmm. funny thing is, and this is good news for you guys with Mm -hmm. the print mag, when I looked at it all really closely, the print mag wasn't the problem. Mm -hmm. It was actually the online. Mm. which is interesting that is really interesting yeah well publishing six to eight stories a day and then paying for all the kind of analytics tools and everything else that was associated with that and the posting and the um the measuring and the reporting and everything else that bit of the business i was hemorrhaging cash um whereas the print mag actually it was kind of doing pretty well. Mm. So on the 29th of November this year, no one really knows this yet, I am bringing the print mag back. Oh, <laughs> you had um, it here first. <laughs> yeah, and I'll probably just do a couple of issues a year, mm. but I don't know about you, I love something physical yeah. and tangible and it's just it's and I know how to do it now. Yeah. You know, it's a no-brainer. So and we've got amazing distribution mm-hmm. and an amazing community. I won't go nuts. Yeah, I'll do one or two a year, and I'll probably make them specialist bespoke nice. issues. But I can now. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because, well, being in the public um, eye, mm-hmm. and then and obviously, like you know, as you grow and you get to meet cool people, and yeah, you yeah. know, you get invited to things and stuff. Yeah, it w- would it have been hard to step away from that? I guess. Okay. Not yes. and what a magazine can do for you, and that's like, I don't know about you, but I've definitely had moments where you walk into your room and you go, "I have a magazine," and people look at you differently, and it's like something could be more. There's something incredible around. Well, it's funny, and there's a few ways to deal with that question. I think one is, um, luckily, because I've done a lot of personal development and work yeah. on myself, my identity isn't wrapped up in it because I could see for that reason you just said very easily how if I just let it all go and I didn't have a strong sense of self Mm -hmm. that I could have crumbled with it Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah there is a big weird even though the numbers online for us far surpassed anything the print mag was doing every single time you know, we interviewed someone, they would always say, can we be in the print mag as mm. opposed to online? Mm. And I was like, wow, there is something quite bizarre about it. Yeah. What I kind of love, because I love human nature, I'm always kind of fascinated by people's mm. reactions and it's interesting watching who has dropped off the radar since mm. I closed the print mag mm. um, and I won't forget that in a hurry and wow. who will suddenly reappear once I relaunch it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually quite a nice way, I think, to clear out who was actually, um, you know, my friends or the people who actually supported us yeah. and who were just kind of fair weather people and they'll suddenly reappear yeah. as soon as I relaunch the print mag. there's not many women in Australia who run magazines. You know, like in terms of. No, in terms of independent. Mm. Although um, I did a regional tour of New South Wales recently and I've been getting out to um, Townsville and lots of different places. And what I realized is uh, there are actually a number of extraordinary women in Mm. different areas like Tamworth, they've got a magazine downtown Mm. um, run by amazing women. Townsville, there's a woman called Success run by amazing women. So yeah. there's quite a few that are regional publications that I was unaware of. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I think very, very little, if any, at the scale that mm. I was going. Yeah. So, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great news about the Mac. I know. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I feel like really, really, I mean, it's only been a couple of months. Yeah. It was only... What are we, May, June, July, August? It's only like three months ago that I yeah. closed the mag, but I um, I just made it my mission and responsibility to look very, very closely at the data and the numbers yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And then I was like, I can do this. I can start to <clears throat> build up elements of the brand again yeah. in a much more sustainable, mm-hmm. sensible way. So yeah, cool. I'm excited. Fresh light. Huh? Fresh light with it all. Fresh, completely yeah. fresh light. And, you know, people often say, um, you've got to have a few failures mm. to be a really good business person and mm. I kind of believe the universe only throws me what I can deal with mm. and because I've consciously chosen to use myself as a conduit for other entrepreneurs, I'm like, 
I'm kind of glad it got so hard so mm. I can actually tell Make other people better. don't do it. Uh, what is, um, you've talked a bit about like, the universe and your spirituality and um, gurus. What, tell, and did I see you spend a bit of time in Bali, maybe India? Yeah, yeah India. Bali, India, um, Costa Rica, you name it. I've gone to many different all the things. communes, all the things. <laughs> is this been the last 18 months or has it been a no. forever thing? Or like you've always been like that? It's been since 2004. Yeah. Mm. A bit of a spiritual awakening. Did you grow up spiritual? Or? Um, so in 2004 I did a um, eight-day cathartic process called the Hoffman process. Was and this with the, is that an Osho thing? No, no. that's not an Osho no, thing. No. But I've done lots of Osho. Did you go to the so. Osho commune? Yes. Was it amazing? Twice. Yes. Was it the one that's in the documentary? Uh, okay, <laughs> but everyone asked that question. I gotta talk about that because I personally love the Osho work, so I'm all for it. <laughs> you can tell me the weird stuff. No, so <laughs> so this is the funny thing is um so I've been to the Osho meditation center in Pune twice I went in December 2016 and then again in February 2017 yeah because I do so much public speaking and write so many books when I got back I was like out there loudly and proudly because I didn't think anyone would ever know what I was talking about (laughs) I was like oh I went to this commune which is pretty much like a cult and you wear purple robes all day which is orange no No, it's purple and um and it's great because you know which it is great because you no one kind of judges you everyone Mm -hmm. has the same identity um or there's you know blah blah anyway so I thought that was all quite funny and people were like wow and then (laughs) the Netflix series came out and people were like oh that's where you went because of course in the Netflix series it's from the 60s and it's full of mass sex orgies and I'm like oh it's kind of changed a bit since then don't lie that's what really happened uh, well I there's I'm sure a part of that's still on offer if you're that way (laughs) is all of that in the book Uh, that would sell all of that is in the book right Uh, no actually purpose though my last book I wrote largely from the um Osho meditation center Mm. while I was there so Mm. yeah but no it wasn't the cathartic one I wasn't having sex orgies I was meditating (laughs) about about 17 hours a day (laughs) I have been to some wild places though around the world where people are nude most of the time not me but yeah I've experienced a lot (laughs) amazing Mm. um so yeah that was kind of the beginning of your spiritual practice yeah 2004 yeah yeah when I did the Hoffman process yeah and uh, you do meditate regularly or what's your yeah I do I meditate every day um but (laughs) when I met my boyfriend he was really perplexed he's Mm. like I I think part of the sell to him was, wow, she meditates a lot. And then he's like, hmm, I never see you meditating. <laughs> and, again, the thing about that is I do it my way. So mm. it's very rare that I sit and, you know, chant um, mm. um although I have done TM mm-hmm. where it's 20 minutes twice a day and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, That's transcendental. Transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. So I've tried lots of different variations. But for me, meditation is very much about mindfully going through the day so pretty much everything I do I try and do consciously and staying present and in the moment and I'll often do like a dance meditation Mm. or go for a run and that's a meditation or I'll garden and that's a meditation so Mm. I think that's really important for people listening I think so much of society or you know other people's expectations kind of dictate that this is how you do something and Mm. actually I just find if you can do things mindfully or do things your own way, then mm. that's okay. You know? Well, it's kind of like that embodiment stuff, right, of like yeah. really being so in tune and present with your own body that you follow your, like, truth, Yeah, than, which is, you know, both why we end up being entrepreneurs is because yeah. we got out of the rat race of people saying this is the career path you should be taking and how you exactly. should be working in a nine-to-five or whatever. Yeah, and that um, people often talk to me about flow because, for example, the eight, the last 18 months of Collective before I closed the print mag, I was mm. not in flow. Mm. But prior to that, I was. And So, so when you say in flow. So that med- meditative practice where it's mm. like people will know it. It's like when you just 
everything just, even when it's tough, mm. it kind of flows. It's kind of, you exactly. might be like, yeah, it's almost like when you're so on purpose and you're like, this is what I want to do, mm. you'll start to notice that the synchronicity and the serendipity and the people that start to be attracted to you or the mm. doors that open, it just kind of happens and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. And probably the first three and a half years of the collective journey, it was just like, like it was hard but it was just like it was just things just kept opening things just Mm. kept shifting and then as soon as I started trying to control things because of the money situation and needing to like you know be in that panic and survival Mm. mode of I need to bring this in suddenly it was like I was walking through mud and everything was difficult and sluggish and horrible so you asked me before was there a moment yeah it was like after feeling like I was in mud for such a long time was like this I know what flow feels like and know when it's just easy and that was anything but so it was like it's time to break things and try and and get back into that rhythm where it's kind of easy Mm. have you used that like flow and spirituality and stuff like you know being on purpose as part of how you run a business like beyond the mind every single bit I mean I always say 97% 97% of how I run a business is gut and intuition mm. and, you know, spiritual and you just, that's honed over time and 3% is, you mm. know, looking at other Practical stuff. Yeah. What's your number one tip for someone trying to get in flow? If they're feeling like they're stuck and muddy at home right now, what, like, how would you advise them to find their flow? <laughs> so there's a whole lot of things and I talk a lot about the, um, the rituals, the routines, the tips, the tricks, all that kind of thing in my book Purpose Mm -hmm. um, to help around this. Um, It's often just putting, I can only speak about what's true for me and my experience, but it's like actually jarring yourself. Mm -hmm. So putting yourself in a counterintuitive situation um, and being unafraid to say no and, you know, change the course of what you're doing. So for me sometimes it might be, I just go to a different cafe in a different suburb or mm. I, you know, I go to an event that I've never been. So I just try and jar myself or mm. you can do something crazy mm. like go to India and meditate for 17 hours a day in a purple robe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like as soon as you shift something mm. from your norm, mm-hmm. then you kind of start to move that energetically. I mean people might be going, oh, that's so weird. Mm. But if you try it, and when you hit it, you'll know exactly what I mean. Mm. Um, and also I find that anything you have to push or control or try and um, dictate the outcome, then it becomes sticky and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's so it's such a weird thing, but, like, it's almost like you just come up with what's my purpose, what am mm. I here for? Like collective is three words, igniting mm. human potential. Mm. So it's like if it's, you know, that's the thing we're trying to do. If I'm trying to force things, it becomes sluggish. But if Mm -hmm. I just stay open and Mm -hmm. start having conversations with different people and become aware of my surroundings and the opportunities, then I just start saying yes and it just becomes easier. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like if, hmm, I'm trying to think, like if this afternoon I decided I want to run, I don't know, I'm just making stuff, but I want to create this product. Mm. And I start trying to think and get on the phone and call people and it's mm. just not working. But if you and I sit here and go, well, we both want to kind of do this, mm. let's try together. Yeah. And it's like it's just easy and we test it. Yeah, you and, follow that, like, all their feelings in your body. Yeah. And they're cool. What feels right for me right now? Exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people – don't do enough of is they feel the frustration and the stuckness like whether that's a nine to five yeah. or uh, maybe a business that needs to be you know altered yeah. in, a, in its current format and they don't listen to their bodies enough they get stuck in the doing 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 oh then, all the time and that can yeah. be yeah so that example of corporate nine to five a lot of that is around self-sabotage mm. to do with you know this is all I know or mm. I need this because of the money or I have a mortgage to pay or how can I possibly mm. or I'm not worthy, like all sorts yeah. of ways to self-sabotage, limiting beliefs, <laughs> say, stay stuck. Yeah. And so now the beauty is, you know, a lot of people can have a side hustle so you're not mm. throwing everything away all at once. It's yeah. like 
I'll just test something. Why don't I start a blog talking mm-hmm. about what I love? Or I've always wanted to do floristry. Well, why don't I start doing a course on the Saturday mm-hmm. and see if I love it and I'm passionate about it? And, oh, wow, people will start saying to me so that external validation piece, oh, you're really great at that. Mm-hmm. So then you start to give yourself permission to go, huh, Maybe I could try mm. something else for a while. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And conversely, be careful what you wish for because being an entrepreneur and suddenly having 32 staff and blah, 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 all these expenses, mm. I ironically mm-hmm. went from a life of freedom and choice and creativity um, to one of being stuck again because mm. I was like, this is a freaking nightmare. This isn't what I consciously want. Yeah. And so, again, my ego or identity or all sorts of other things could have kept me on that treadmill and in that space but I was like well why like Mm. why not break it all and start again yeah and I really encourage people to do that because um being able to break it and have enough self-confidence to go I know I can come back stronger Mm. and like I could keep I could have kept Mm. slogging along for the next 10 or 20 years Mm. and like how tedious yeah, I broke it and it was painful, but it's only less than three months and I feel the best I've ever felt. Yeah, so just break stuff. <laughs> break all of it. Is um, like being in the public eye and having like a big following and people knowing who you are and things like that, is that was that hard to do, like knowing that people are going to have an opinion or talk about it or, you know, it, it uh, wasn't like you are just this CEO that's faceless that, no one have, will ever, you know, pass in the street. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing because I never meant to um, have a brand or be a public figure or whatever okay. you want to call it at all. But um, in my first editor's letter, I kind of wrote something like, I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have a crack. And then so I think I quickly became the pin-up girl for she's got no idea mm. and something worked yeah. so we can do it too. Yeah, so. And so – I think the thing about it is, and this is probably a really good lesson for people, is that if you tell people everything, Mm. then there's nothing that can hurt you or nothing to be fearful of. Mm. So I've just been really honest and authentic through my journey. Mm. And um, in Risk and Resilience, my latest book, like Mm. I talk about figures and how much money I lost Mm. and exactly how much money I would have been making as a have if I just had a personal brand as opposed yeah. to a propping up a whole company and yeah. so people can do with that what they will but I think when you kind of put it all out there then it's like yeah you know give it your best shot to date I've, I've really never like had them. anyone to my knowledge yeah which is unusual mm-hmm. say anything I mean I'm sure there are but to my face and the other thing is I'm like well I know I'm doing the best job I can and yeah. I'm also um being authentic about where I've messed up. So I'm like, oh, well. It's very, like, it's a, I do a bit of tantra work and it's about bringing things out of the shadow, right? Yeah. Because when it's in shadow, it can get you. Yeah, but yeah, if it's yeah. it's in the light, yeah. then, yeah, yeah. then you can't help. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about being in relationships with in the public eye? Like that as your profile grew and, you know, because you recently or you've just started a new version? Uh, ah, I love yeah. that you don't know that because <laughs> so I, uh, when I started Collective, I had a very public relationship. Yeah. Um, and there are two books about that, Life of Love and then Breakups and Breakthroughs. <laughs> yeah, and then great I, content. <laughs> and then I decided, uh, so my uh, current boyfriend, we've been together two years mm-hmm. uh, and we are sitting in our home, which we yeah. live together in now for over a year, um, but no one knows. Mm. And I freaking love that because uh, every time on the very rare occasion I put him on social media, mm. he's always got his eyes, his face is blacked out. Yeah. So he's become like the mystery man. But, yeah, no one knows who he is and mm. that is the way that we nice. like to keep it. <laughs> Was it hard? Oh, I'm sure you talked about it in your books, but going through that breakup and, like, dealing with, well, obviously the growing pressure of a business and heartbreak. Horrible. Yeah. And I highly recommend people don't have a public relationship. Mm. <laughs> Horrible. Um, for many reasons, but um, one, it's hard dealing with something 
privately, like mm-hmm. when you don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And secondly, when our businesses were a little bit entwined and I'd just written a book, Life and Love, um, which had only been out, I think, a few weeks, mm-hmm. and he literally came home and said, I can't do this anymore and like, left that day. Oh, my God, and the book was about how great it was. <laughs> the book was about how great it was. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is a bit awkward. And when my Just don't leave until the book's sold. <laughs> oh, gosh. And the thing is when I'm all about being authentic, that was probably the one time in my life publicly where I struggled being authentic because mm. I didn't yet know what was going on. I was like, because he literally came home and was like, can you take Benny the dog for a walk? I'm going to pack my bag. I can't do this anymore. And I was like, uh, book just came out doing all this like national TV and stuff talking about us. <laughs> and so I just kept doing this freaking tour and people were like, wow, so it's so amazing. I was like, oh, next question. <laughs> I didn't want to be inauthentic, but I was also like, I also didn't want to publicly be like, well, yeah, it's over when I was like, that's a bit weird. Are you coming home? Have you just had like a weird meltdown? And yeah. <laughs> anyway, he didn't come home. Oh. And I, <laughs> I, um, I wrote a book, Breakups and Breakthroughs. <laughs> so I used that experience yeah, to, wow. you know, strengthen myself and to help other people. So In hindsight, would you have written the love one? Like, or would you have just kept it out? No, I would business? not. And I won't write any more personal books. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring lovers into this game. Nice little PR crew for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. And also the worst thing about that is I printed 10,000 copies of that book. And so, like, of course, I mean, luckily I did a reprint, I think, three weeks after it came out because it sold its little ass off mm-hmm. and I changed everything. And then we had to do a um, – I remember we had to do a, a – what do you call it, like a find on his name in the book. And he was in there like 47 times. So I had to like strip it out, strip it out, strip it out. But because there were copies in circulation and the whole, <laughs> I can only laugh, the whole last chapter was about our proposal. And so oh, you were engaged. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that was the last chapter of the, <laughs> the book. <laughs> and so people would literally say to me like two years later, oh, well, where's the wedding? And I'm like, oh, my God, so nice. Read the next book. <laughs> Yeah, so you live and learn. And, and it's nice I can laugh about it now. I, yeah, was, not, wow. I was not laughing a lot at the time. <laughs> oh, painful, heartbreaking. Painful, horrible, hideous, asshole. Yes. <laughs> Ouch. Um, do you believe in marriage? Would you get married again? Absolutely. And yeah. my current partner asks me to marry him every single day. We have a joke <laughs> every day. I'm like, is that the proposal? But we. So yeah. you're not engaged? No, not yet. No. But. We will. He's my definite forever person and I love him to bits. So, uh, yeah. So. so he doesn't get a book, though? He does like, not get a book. <laughs> I love you forever, but um, you'll never be in my book. No. I did say to him, gosh, are you worried, like, that I'm going to write a book about you and break up with you? No. Yeah. He's, um, he's, he's amazing. Mm. He's a beautiful, calm, spiritual yogic human being so Raj it's yeah. Raj isn't no, it? is Raj <laughs> oh amazing so um what's your what's next yeah you're doing so you've just released risk, risk and resilience is it yeah. out yet no it's yeah. well it might be by the time the podcast is up it's out officially on the 10th of September 2018 yeah. that's a weird thing about writing books because I write in real time but I mean I only finished writing it Two, maybe two and a half months ago mm. and already I'm like oh well that was that my life's actually really good now yeah. and it's a bit of a train smash story but really important for people I think to know you know the hard times as well and know yeah. that you can get through them and um, yeah. things are much better yeah yeah cool um and wait, the magazine's happening have you got any other plans for collective or lisa messenger i do you can't really get married because your name is going to get messed up i know or you wouldn't change it well let's see <laughs> no 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 i won't change my name breaking everything including I, my name no i won't change my name for a lot of reasons i think um it's funny, I think I grew into my name. You know, mm. some people grow into their what's your surname? Langford. Langford. It's not that great. How are you gonna grow into that one? <laughs> Kayleen Langford. It's really not a famous Langford. name at all. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> not impressed. <laughs> no, you look that up. There's gotta be something about Langford. Okay. Um <laughs> Thanks. No, I feel like it's funny a lot of people say to me, um, 
did you change your name to Messenger when you became a messenger? And I was like, wow, no, yeah. I did not. But thank you for thinking Okay, that. I see what you mean around like growing. Like it's like set the intention for the kind of yeah. purpose. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting when I – What did you want to be when you were growing up? Uh, I wanted to be I wanted to be a, just like with horse riding. So, really? Yeah. Where did you grow up? Cooler. No, uh, Central West, New South Wales. So mm. riding horses and motorbikes every day. Every day after school, I'd ride my horse, ride my motorbike. Did you go to uni in Sydney? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, went, I am lying. I went to school. I went to boarding school in Sydney. Mm. I went to uni in Lismore, so oh, yeah. inland from Byron Bay. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Did you have horses though in this one? No, I did not, sadly. Do you have a horse now? No, that's the one thing. I really miss at the moment. And after breaking collective, two of my words for this year have been time and space. Mm. It's really easy to get busy, you know, next mm. project and, you know, creating and always mm. doing. And I, I just suddenly thought recently, I was like, what makes me really happy? And mm. I remember, like, just galloping for hours mm. after school on my horse. Like, mm. there's that insane sense of freedom. And I mm. thought, gosh, it's so many years ago that I was doing that mm. so that's actually something I really want to re-explore I love animals and I love nature mm. and I love freedom so I actually yeah. recently did that I was like having a stressful day where I was like oh I can't do this anymore and I got a big a3 piece of paper out and I was like put my name in the middle and I was yeah. like what makes me happy mm. and then I just like brain dumped everything that came to mind so I was just like weekend trips, this, that. Like, yeah, yeah. And then I actually went and did practical examples. So I was like, cool, I want to go to the snow. Oh, it's so it. important. And so yeah. then when you're having those, you're like, okay, this is achievable. I can bring these happiness things into my life again. Yeah, and actually on that I would say to anyone, there's so many um, kind of grounding rituals and it doesn't need to be going to the country mm. and riding a horse mm. or whatever. It's like I try and consciously write down you can call them moments of gratitude mm. or or things that bring me mm. pure joy. Mm. So it's like when I'm dancing, I can dance, by the way, anywhere, anytime. But just, What's your favourite track <laughs> right now? Uh, any, it's terrible. I'm like anything that's like <laughs> high energy, deep house, I'm like I'm off. Deep house? <laughs> I thought you would have been like Taylor's. <laughs> I, I swing between, you know, depends what mood I'm in, but. Um, but I think it's like, you know, if people can find something that brings them joy, like I can just turn on a track for 30 seconds yeah. and dance around my living room and suddenly I'm like, okay, I'm back. Yeah. And so when we really look at it, I think it's those singular moments in time mm-hmm. that can quickly bring us back. So I'm every day on the exercise and the green smoothies, mm-hmm. I try and get into nature, whether it's just taking Benny down to the rocks at Bondi mm-hmm. or something for quick swim or you know whatever it is it's really easy because I think life can become overwhelming and stressful and out of control and it's like that's again staying connected to what makes you happy yeah like being aware and present enough to go this feels really good for my body so I'm going to make sure I get out and do that yeah Mm. and I really want people to understand that as well gardening I mean look at my house it's Mm -hmm. filled with and upstairs we have plants everywhere Mm -hmm. but for me that's something it can take you know, two minutes and I might like fertilize the plants or chop a few leaves off. But that just brings me back and earns me to the Mm. present moment. So I think that's important. What would you, someone out there looking to start their own business, what is their number one tip that you would give them? You only ever get to give them one piece of advice. What do you give them? Uh, Oh, I have so many. But (laughs) I think... One, mm-hmm. the most okay. The most tip. important probably is surround yourself with an amazing team. Mm. Just not thirty-two of them. Not thirty-two. <laughs> but the thing is, now I tell you what's beautiful about. So yeah, I've probably got at least sixteen, probably seventeen as of yesterday. Mm. People working for me on different projects. But what I'm loving, so I've got a lot happening in the next year yeah but what I'm loving is when there was 32 sitting there mm-hmm. if I, when I was doing a cover for the mag even though it's really only me and the art director mm-hmm. and my editor who were meant to be involved in that mm-hmm. everyone's there weighing in their thing mm-hmm. you know so I found that it was grossly inefficient mm-hmm. in terms of everyone's always involved in everything mm-hmm. 
Whereas now, because everyone's decentralized and working from, you know, their own spaces and places, mm. it's like I have a big regional tour coming up, but no one knows about that except Ian, who's mm. running that. And once other people like Em, my art director, need mm. to know about it, or Helen, who looks after my mm. digital and social media stuff, um, then, then I'll feed them through the information. Mm-hmm. And so I'm loving that everything is kind of siloed at the moment. Yeah. And so everyone's working project by project mm-hmm. um, until such time as they need to be looped in together. Mm-hmm. And I am just powering through the mm-hmm. project. So definitely people can expect to see a lot more product, mm-hmm. a lot more events. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot more exciting stuff over the next year. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, as a new magazine owner yes exactly that what's what would you what's your piece of advice for a magazine editor or founder i don't have one piece of advice (laughs) you have have to help me out here like what what did you learn that you can pass on to the magazine it's not like a one it's like it's like five years of like all day every day and every night like being in the trenches and doing it um uh, I suppose the one thing that I've always said which remains true is if you give people a chance to feel like they belong, mm. then they'll carry the message for you. And that certainly happened with Collective. It's like I might have owned it financially 100%, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and a lot of times, <laughs> but um, really the community owned it. And mm. because I made that the mandate from the get-go, I think people just, carried the message and shared it mm-hmm. and got involved in it and so that's probably the number one important thing like give people a chance to belong mm, thank yeah. you <laughs> thanks for catching up thanks for having me good chat great chat